I'm Mike Wilkerson from the Dexter Podcast, reviewing each and every episode of the hit Showtime program, Dexter. Be sure to check out the Black Tribbles Podcast, Too Cool to be Geeks, Too Cute to be Nerds, on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking. Captain America 2011, directed by Joe Johnston. You might remember the accidental conjuring of something that television called Captain America in the late 70s. A pseudo-surfing dude in a blue conversion van that painted cats, didn't really hurt anyone, and had a father that had created some sort of super serum called Flag, a potion that would enhance all of his senses, physical strengths, and more. Combine a rocket-powered, hang-gliding motorcycle, painted on wings on a blue motorcycle helmet, and, well, it was a combined televised potion for disaster. Fast forward 40 years, the Captain America mythos frozen in time, not too differently from his comic book counterpart. Marvel chipped Captain America out of the proverbial block of ice after a firestorm of success with Iron Man, the Hulk, and more. An effort was launched to bring Captain America, a true Captain America, to the silver screen, and wow, did they ever. Toss away all memories of the accidental conjure. Embrace the collective creation that appears here with Chris Evans in the lead role. Because it's time for the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Captain America 2011. Directed by Joe Johnston here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings everybody, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm David Kareed, another one of your hosts. And I'm Kip Lewis, your third host. And wow, we've got three great perspectives of comic book dumb here. I was not a Captain America follower until maybe the late 90s when I got interested in maybe picked up, I don't know, 50 or so books of his past. And so other than loving Captain America because, well, he's Captain America, I don't have a, a solid foundation to put him on except that I know what Captain America looks like. I read Captain America when I was a kid. My one of my uncle Stephen, who you know introduced me to a, a lot of the things that I enjoy today. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the comics he pawned off on me was uh, his Avengers. Oh yeah, and through that, I you know I, I eventually dabbled into reading Iron Man, reading Doctor Strange, reading Captain America. Uh, so I, I have a little bit of a background through the the late seventies and eighties, but I, I sort of put all that down when I went for those uh, dark 1980s comics yeah. uh, there towards the end of the 80s. And I eventually picked it back up a little bit when they started to do different things with the comics in, yeah. in the 90s uh, before I quit comics altogether, before coming back to it again yeah. much later in my adulthood. So. Yeah. Like Dave, I came to Captain America also through the Avengers. My you know, first issue that started me collecting was an Avengers issue, and Cap was one of the main characters of the storyline. And unlike Dave, I pretty much have stayed with Captain America and most of the Marvel stuff and DC stuff all the way through to today. I haven't really had much time away, maybe about a year or so, but that was about it. I've seen Cap through various different incarnations by different writers and artists through the years. The bottom line is that I I picked up a Captain America t-shirt, an official one, from Marvel in 1996. And I still have that shirt today. It's a, it's one of my favorite shirts. It was made of great material, so it's really held up. The colors have faded a little bit, but I was proud to wear that shirt as I walked in to watch 
Captain America 2011, directed by Joe Johnston. Let's get straight to the perspective review, guys. The hype. So what was the hype like for this, David? It was huge. It was um, gargantuan. Yeah, coming in from the back end of Thor, Thor was released, what, two months prior to mm -hmm. this uh, mm -hmm. in May, and this mm -hmm. was in July. Mm -hmm. So coming in on the back end of Thor, the announcement that they were actually doing the Avengers, mm -hmm. uh, I believe they rolled into Comic-Con with the entire cast of the Avengers before Captain America hit the theaters. Yeah. Um, it was really, really big. You know, it's sort of a... a, a uh, part of their overall, you know, Avengers story arc, mm -hmm. multiple picture deal. Uh, it was a huge deal when they announced that Chris Evans got the role, yeah. which, by the way, I think is perfect casting. Yeah. It yeah, was massive. It, it was everywhere. Not only was it a massive pitch of hype here, we're talking about a nine-movie deal, which, in my perspective, it's bigger than the Pujols deal. Pujols might be getting more money, but he will not have as much prestige as Captain America will have. Right. And so to, to have a nine-picture deal dealt to anybody and to expect them to stay in the same physical visage that they're going to need for that long a period of time, and that's just it's epic. And the I, I loved watching it all happen. It was like watching a bunch of golden eggs crack open and people stand up out of them. The, the anticipation and want for all of this to pull off, not just Captain America, but for all of it and the, the general picture of Marvel to paint it right was gigantic when, this, when the, even the first mention of Captain America came out. One thing I noticed on a lot of the hype was that there's, I think there's as much as you know, the excitement, there's also a lot of trepidation about this movie because of, like you said, the Captain America TV movies that mm -hmm. were made. Yeah. There was some people who are, you know, Chris Evans, who played Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four movies, mm -hmm. playing a very different role in Captain America. Mm -hmm. And then I think it just, you know, people were like, where's this going to go? How's it going to, you know, how is Marvel going to do with it? And I think Marvel's, you know, pulled off everything, and everybody's fears on the movies was, unless people nitpick, everybody's fears pretty much should have been quieted. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And I did share some of that. It's going to be Johnny Storm, really? Yeah. I, I did have some of that, but then I realized how actually, you know, physically fit he was as Johnny Storm. Right. Which absolutely helped him conquer the only other barrier there was, which was to get him big. Yeah. And uh, my God, did he conquer that. In, in any case, the hype was huge. Where did you see this film, David, originally? I saw it where I see all my films at the St. Charles <laughs> Werenberg 18 Cine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I took my kid, and we had a really, really great time. Yeah, and you saw it in 2D, I assume, yes? I did indeed see it in 2D. Okay, Kip? If I remember right, I was at Ronnie's, and, yeah, 2D for me as well. Okay. And, again, for those of you that aren't familiar with St. Louis or wonder what Ronnie's is, it's a large-scale theater that doesn't only push the 2D stuff, but because of the way the place is built, they have the 3D and also a true IMAX experience there as well. Uh, it, it's a great theater. For those of you that haven't been there that are in St. Louis or traveling to St. Louis, make sure you check out Ronnie's. I watched it at the local Great Escape Theater, and I was all by myself. It was middle of a Friday, and no one else was there. So I got to see Captain America on opening day with nobody else inside of a theater at 11.30 in the afternoon. It, it was it was fantastic. I was scared to see that I was the only one there. Right. Uh, but it quickly flooded full that evening. T-Hook! T-Guys talking! Captain America! The money! All right, so officially, both of you suck at guessing numbers and money. So this will be the double dipping 
David first will get you with domestic. Any idea what this made? All right, let's see. I'm going to go with, um, oh, I don't know, 300 million domestic. 300 million domestic. Okay, almost 177 million domestic. Oh, so, almost. I almost <laughs> got it that time. I almost got that, that time. close. Just a bit over, a tiny bit. Kip, how about the foreign take? Any idea? Yeah, I have a really good idea since I'm looking at it right now. Oh, <laughs> tour. <laughs> but it was 191 million. Right, 191 million, almost 192 million. So the total worldwide for this film was 368 million dollars to date. Which again is why we look at these things in perspective review because opening up that weekend, you would have gotten what happened that first weekend, but then you'd have no idea what's going on with the movie, both in regard to franchise but also into what kind of money it has made to date. Which is why I love the perspective view. That yeah. and because no one else does it. So th- that's awesome. Again, it's another corn combine of cash that we always talk about here inside of two guys talking movies. And this is no exception. It it continues to grab and throw money in, especially with the DVD and Blu-ray releases. And Kip, because it made so much money, what happens? Sequel. Sequel, absolutely. How could there not be a sequel? And when you piggyback sequels on top of Avenger movies, it's looking pretty green for Captain America. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then when you add in the toy line? Yeah, all of it. In fact, I don't know how toys have done. You know, I'm uh, the merchandising is all over the place. Um, I took my kid, uh, my, my wonderful nine-year-old daughter, Sophie, and we went to uh, Target and a couple of other places, and we were looking around. Um, they've got a substantial amount of Thor and Captain America stuff on the shelf, mm-hmm. um, right next to, you know, your more traditional Marvel stuff. But this is all movie-related product. Yeah. She picked up the uh, frisbee, the Captain America shield frisbee that's got a small, stretchy handhold on the backside of it. And, you know, she's like, yeah, this is awesome. I'd definitely play with this. Yeah. So they've got a, a few things that are, you know, just right in the wheelhouse for all kids. Yeah. And they got the more dress-up, you know, masks was the, and stuff like that. Was but, the Frisbee, like, red and clear? No, it looked uh, oh. it looked like the shield. I, oh, I, think I was so looking really forward idea. to having the red clear one, like, oh, the, right. like no. the 70s television like the 70, stuff. No, no, no? no. Okay, no. well. I'm sorry. I'll have to get over that. Stop having flashbacks, Mike. <laughs> When, we'll touch base on that later on when we start talking about franchise, but I did. I actually sat through both oh. that original <laughs> and then the second that's issued now on a DVD that's available at Walmart, and I bought that the same day that I bought my uh, Blu-ray DVD set of of the most recent Captain America, and I have no idea what I was thinking, but i done it. Oh, I, I done I it. apologize. i done it, and I was able to embrace the diversity and somehow get through it. Oh. t Two guys talking Captain America. The good. There were so many things inside of this movie that I thought were spectacular. Uh, The first that we're going to start with, that we often start with inside of the perspective reviews, is the cast. How could it get better inside of the cast here? Before we roll into the cast, I just want to say that the people that they cast for the ancillary characters, Mm -hmm. the casting of Captain America, these were magnificent things. They did a really good job. But hands down, the best casting in the film, the thing that really cinched it up, was Hugo Weaving. Plain and simple. I was thinking the same thing. You know, he Chris was Evans the is the perfect guy for Red Skull. Yeah, Chris Evans is amazing in the role. Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, everybody did really great. But this movie got sold, I think, really 
on the strength of the believability of a bad guy that whose face is a giant red skull. Yeah. Uh, just magnificent. An incredible job. I, I totally agree with that. The bottom line about the cast, though, inside this film is that if we would have had a weak Captain America, and I'm talking about where we have the a Reb Brown-style <laughs> Captain America, right. things would have been completely different for this movie. Not only would it have been hated by the fans, but it would have been hated by anybody that's watching a movie. And so, again, let, let's start at the top of the list. Steve Rogers, Chris Evans. Yeah. There were a lot of people that didn't think that we could rip him out of the other blue costume that he wore and shove him into this blue costume and have it work. Right. And to all of those naysayers, I say, ha. Ha! Right. You know, a big bloody ha. One of the things that made me immediately think that he could do it was the movie Push. And mm -hmm. you and I discussed yeah. this the other day. Yeah. It's a little something he did, and it was supposed to be a franchise launcher, and it never really went anywhere. But it was an amazing job, and it was a character so incredibly different than the Johnny Storm character, mm -hmm. but was mm -hmm. still a quote-unquote superhero, a super-powered yeah. human. I thought that was an amazing job, and it showed... You know, the ability for him to walk into some of these more fantastic things mm -hmm. without having to dip back into the well that he had gotten. So in other words, he's actually a real actor who can actually play multiple roles instead of just playing the same person over and over again. He is actually, he is a, you know, a very believable Johnny Storm. He's a very believable Steve Rogers. And both of those guys are, rap, are radically different characters i mean they're completely on different ends of the spectrum for you know maturity with mm -hmm. you know and everything else mannerisms and everything and he pulled off both that you believed he was each character yeah uh, the, the most important part of chris evans in general for those of you that have seen sunshine another film that oh, yeah. if you have not seen it you need to go and see that because again he literally spreads his wings into something fantastical that gives you a completely different representation of a character that he's ever played in anything else and so he did and does have the acting chops and did pull off a wonderful Steve Rogers, Captain America inside of this. I agree. Peggy Carter, played by Haley Atwell. I love me some Haley Atwell. Probably one of my favorite characters, even though it's totally subdued, had almost no time inside of the film, but one of my favorites inside of this. Because they do not shove her into the standard female archetype of this movie. I loved her in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Loved it. She was not just a pair of lips to get kissed. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. The fact that she was an understated romantic interest, I thought was, you know, incredibly not only just, uh, not only did it serve the character well, but it also served the actress well. And, yes. And ultimately those things helped, them, the, helped serve the movie as well. Going into the movie, it really had no thoughts one way or the other on her. It wasn't, she wasn't why I was going to see the movie, and it wasn't. But yeah, I have to agree. She pulled off the role perfectly, and it, she was a good. I don't know if "foil" is the right word for. No, Steve actually, Rogers, I think that's a really good word. I, I think that's a great word. The other thing that, again, I wish other movies would totally pick up from this is that when you have a woman inside of a movie, it doesn't mean that you have a vagina in the movie. Yeah, right. It means that you have another character inside the movie, and so many films nowadays, in particular, that skew into the comedy, the uh, comedic role especially the romantic comedies, that's all there is a woman inside of the movie for. And I hate that. I yeah. hate that of modern films. Yeah, I think that this is probably, uh, hopefully when they do the sequels, which we know are going to mm -hmm. come, a lot of it will be done in flashback and we'll get to see her reprise the role. Johann Schmidt, also the Red Skull, Hugo Weaving. Oh, wow. What else could he possibly add to his mix and or basket to confirm that he is an actor extraordinaire. 
The last thing that you and I, uh, David and I talked about him, referred to him in, was the recent Transformers Dark of the Moon review that we did in Perspective Review recently. And, you know, he had such a minuscule nothing role in there as Megatron that you can't really compare them. But what you can do is showcase that he does have a really well-rounded skill set where you have two maniacal people, one in Megatron and one inside the Red Skull. But they are incredibly different and diverse, which, again, is not easy to do inside of not only the villain realm, but inside of a one-actor realm. You don't see that very often. The Red Skull is the ultimate, unabashed, pure, evil guy. It's like you do not have, want your kid dressing up as a Red Skull for, um, for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, that's very well said. And again, we'll get to what it actually, what the Red Skull actually looks like later inside this review. But again, yeah. great stuff from Hugo Weaving. Dr. Erskine, Stanley Tucci, one of my favorite insert actor actors yeah. that I don't think it's enough work. Inside of the, uh, the commentary of the Blu-ray, they actually say, oh, look, it's Stanley Tucci, the actor that every movie should have. Right. And I can't possibly disagree with that. Inside of Captain America, he has an extremely small role. But how vital was this role yeah, absolutely. to the movie and the fabric that made Captain America? I thought it was great. Once again, I think one of the strengths of this movie is the ability to take such small and minor parts and ancillary characters and place incredible actors in them and give them material that makes it worth our while for them to be there, if that makes any sense. Kip, anything? Yeah. Yeah. And when he said taking a minor character, he really was a minor character in the comic books. I think, I mean, he's on, he's only like on panel for like two pages. I mean, he's not, a, I mean, he's, he's such a major character in the life of Captain America, but he's such a minor role. And, yeah, they did flesh him out very nicely Mm -hmm. in in the movie. What really strikes me about a role like Dr. Erskine inside of this movie is that television programs need to take a giant slice of what happens inside this movie and put it onto the characters that they create to be showcased on television every week because you don't have to have 25 minutes of a character inside of a 43-minute set of time inside of a television show to have a good character. And this was a perfect sample of how to pull that off. Colonel Phillips, Tommy Lee Jones. Wow. If you didn't like Tommy Lee Jones previously, or the only thing you remembered him for was him playing Two-Face in one of the Batman films, this is one to love. Total endearment for this character to everybody that's watching on the screen. Great stuff. You know, they could have plugged other people into this role because it's, once again, sort of a minor role. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, they could have plugged other, other actors into the role, but I think putting Tommy Lee Jones into that was sort of a, you know, a, a coup de grace. I mean, it was yeah. really, you know, the perfect stroke of genius. They they could have put somebody else in it because it was so minor and probably have gotten a good performance and enough for us to get that character and move on to the next. Mm-hmm. But putting time an actor like Tommy Lee Jones into that and, and letting him chew the scenery in every scene he's in, really. Oh yeah, uh, just amazing. Yeah, he's, again, one of those characters where he appears on the screen inside the film and you instantly are engaged in leaning forward in your seat to wondering what he's going to say next. Great stuff. For me, Tommy Lee Jones, I don't know, I wasn't as thrilled with him in the role as you guys were. Oh, yeah, pooper scooper. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, it was, like you said, it was a minor character role in the thing, so it's like, if he wasn't there, I mean, yeah, I think maybe only Tommy Lee Jones could have pulled off the character as they portrayed him, Mm -hmm. but... I'm not sure how much it really added to the movie or not. If, it, if he wasn't there, I don't know if it would have changed much. Howard Stark, Dominic Cooper. 
a total nod to the gelatin, the the kind of grout that they've made between all of the movies. Here you have a young Howard Stark that appears to help Captain America become Captain America. Yeah. And in doing so, you get to see a bit of the spirit and genius that is Howard Stark when he was younger. I, I thought it was wonderfully done by Dominic Cooper here. Yeah, I think that not only was the role written correctly, uh, that used the, that particular character in places that traditionally that character wouldn't have been in in the comic book, but mm -hmm. made total sense mm -hmm. in their retelling for the movie. Yeah. Uh, he was there to help uh, actually create Captain America with the hardware. Uh, he helped create the costume. He helped with the shield. You know, he helped him infiltrate enemy lines with his own private personal plane. Mm -hmm. You know, the use of the character, and of course it was written well, performed excellently, a lot like Tony, but enough not like Tony that you didn't think that you were watching Iron Man in the movie. Right. So uh, really, really done well. I think it's something that's going to come back and, and be mentioned several times in the Avengers film. Um, so, you know, it, all in all, a really, really good portrayal. Yeah, I have to agree with what Dave said, because Howard Stark had absolutely no role in Captain America in the comic books. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, there's probably a story where they met or something, but other than that, no part in the history of Captain America, but to make these movies weave together with the Iron Man movie and then with the Avengers to come, it was a perfect linchpin. Dum Dum Dugan, Neil McDonough. Now, this is a character I know nothing about, but I'm adding it in because, well... Kip threatened me with death if I didn't include him. So, yeah. Kip? Right, right. No, I agree. Dum Dum Dugan is, in the comic books, is like Nick Fury's right-hand man throughout his entire career, from back to World War II all the way into the modern era. Mm -hmm. he's, and sometimes, you know, characters, you know, they pick an actor to put into the role. It's like, yep, that actor works, is good, everything. But it doesn't convey the comic book character perfectly. Neil McDowell conveys the comic book character perfectly from looks, to how he acted, it's like okay, that was the comic book character made alive, almost perfectly. Better than um, I mean, it was perfect casting for a, a minor character. And we had the whole Howling Commandos in there, though I don't know if they were ever called that in the movie. No, I don't but think they, they, took they were. But uh, traditional thing with Nick Fury, again, a little bit of connecting between you know a little bit of a connecting thing, or maybe more of an Easter egg because they didn't actually because Nick Fury doesn't show up in World War II in this movie, but. It was a nice connection to the comic book and also bringing into connecting with the other movies. Yeah, the, the bottom line about all of these characters that appear inside the cast here is that they all provide connective tissue, which is one of the most important vital parts that is missing in just about every movie. Right. And so that they were able to bring such rich history and stuff that made something that was tangible was just a, a wonderful thing inside the cast here. The costumes all the way around but more importantly the captain america costumes yeah all three of them yeah i agree the the first that we have of course is the man with the plan costume that is sadly almost ripped directly from the 70s right final costume except that it wasn't made of lycra it looked like it was made of wool, wool or something yeah, really sure. really heavy and hot but it was spectacular it was perfectly placed inside of that uso style flavor give me money for bonds thing that they put in and when I read that first on the page inside of a piece of the script that got released, I was incredibly scared because I'm, I had no idea how they were going to pull off these dancing girls running around Captain America doing something viable, but they did it yeah. and it's genius. Yeah. It absolutely sets you into that tone, that 
period of time through dancing girls and cap asking hey it's time for you to support the war effort bling as teeth shine and it worked out perfectly it was great the the, the second costume that we're talking about is actually when he rips off one of the uso girls uh, helmets puts on the helmet puts on a leather jacket and grabs his shield and heads out into the fray to rescue the people inside of world war ii that's the second one yeah and then the third one is actually the one that he and howard stark compile together and make this what i think still to this day if in the avengers film they had that costume i'm good to go yeah i'm absolutely good to go i thought it was an extraordinarily functional outfit you look at the outfit and you go i see what every piece of that outfit does for him there wasn't any added well we've got to put some red in over here and a star over there and uh, none of that it was absolutely perfectly suited haha for what was going on with Captain America inside of this and added total realism. You know, and unlike some of the other forced costumes that we've seen in superhero movies, mm-hmm. um, going back to the you know, high school uh, Peter Parker sewing this incredible <laughs> costume. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, look at me! Um, uh, and then rolling through the X-Men costumes, mm-hmm. which, you know, although we liked them better than the spandex that they could have worn, we're still, it seemed kind of shoehorned and forced a little yeah. bit to get them sort of into a costume yeah. uh, when they really didn't need them. This was perfect. I mean, it was it was well executed. It was based off of something that was reality at mm-hmm. the time, the, mm-hmm. the paratroopers rig. Everything, like you said, form followed function. And the, the whole idea of his shield and his costume being useful mm-hmm. as opposed to look, he looks like the guy in the comic book, I thought was amazing. It was really well done. What I liked about it was, I know, remember, I was seeing the initial, because I told you about this, Mike, when we were watching some of the um, video clips or the trailers that were starting to pop up before the movie that showed the costume. And I remember looking at the costume and like, ooh, I didn't like the blue. I was a little concerned about it. But when I actually saw it on the big screen, it worked. It fit. The color was perfect. The kid... Um, I had absolutely no complaints about the costume once we, you know, once we got into it. Um, and like Mike with the original, wearing the comic book style version on the USO tour, at first, because I didn't know that was coming on. When I first I saw that was when it popped up in the movie when I'm watching it. And at first I was like, uh-oh, where are they going with this? Right. But it made sense. And since then I've also learned that that actually was very common during World War II that they would take war heroes off the front line and send them onto USO tours to raise money. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially with celebrities. I mean, the, 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 the gist of a celebrity is that they have access and ties to an audience way more deeper than any regular, even, even hero soldier would have. And so throwing them into that role, it was, it was genius. And I'm glad that it really panned out wonderfully as well as having that great soundtrack propelled by on Silvestri. I mean, it's just, it's brilliant, brilliant level stuff that again, could have been so stupid and, and hack and was, it just wasn't, it was outstanding stuff. The red skull. All right. So we've already talked about the caliber of acting that's propelling the character of the red skull inside this film. What we have not yet talked about that we should be providing immense, awesome level praise for is the actual creation of Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull. Yeah. The instant that the pictures were put out that when they released that, and I think it was a couple of months, maybe three or four months before the film actually came out, uh, just wow. Not only was the costume 100% on, 
collecting some of that Nazi flavor, casting it through into what's supposed to be comic book. But the the face, the articulation of what we're actually seeing on the screen is just mind-blowing. It, 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 it all makes sense. Again, the same stuff that they had in regard to Captain America's costume had been translated completely to the Red Skull makeup. I, I agree. Everything they did with not just the Red Skull, because amazing and fantastic, but everything they did for, uh, for Hydra. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything, down to the weapons, the soldiers' uniforms, their military-grade equipment. The mechana, all of it. All right. of it. I, it was just really, really, really well done. Uh, part of why this movie was so successful was the attention to those little details, mm-hmm. the costumes, the sets, the, you know, this is the motif for yeah. this, and it, they stuck to it. We actually were going to uh, put this into a different bullet point, but it makes sense to mention to here. Everything that you've just mentioned really speaks to being able to pull off and showcase and stick all of this movie into the time period that was provided. With the exception of the last 10 or 15 minutes, all of this movie is absolutely steeped in the appropriate time period. From the cars, to the cobblestones, to the sets, to the the people walking around, their costumes, all of it. Hairstyles, you name it. It all propels the story, but also puts you instantly into that mindset, which you've seen the movies where they can't do it right. And this is one that does it incredibly well. The effects. All right, so I I know you guys haven't listened to the commentary because I'm total commentary whore. But inside the Joe Johnston commentary that features, I think, uh, an editor and one of the producers as well, you would not believe where they're using special effects in this movie, where you're like, there's there's no special effects. I don't see any. Yes, you do. Right. There's uh, there's 1,700 different effects usages inside this film. I, can, I believe it. Absolutely. And it is spectacular. The first one we're going to start with is Skinny Steve. Yeah, the shrinking of Steve Rogers. You know, Absolutely. One of the most profound effects I've ever seen that if someone didn't tell you it wasn't an effect, you would not know. You would never know. You know, the Benjamin Button movie had come out, and there was a lot of, you know, putting Brad Pitt's face on different actors mm-hmm. or, or, you know, even children's mm-hmm. bodies. Sure. And that was the early speculation from a lot of people was what they had done, that they had found some 90-pound weakling mm-hmm. and were just, you know, mapping uh, um, Chris Evans' face, Chris Evans onto, face it, right. onto it. But... That's not what they did. Right. Right. <laughs> that's, that's not what they did at all. They, right. they shrunk him. Yeah. There was actually, a, there's a scene where Haley Atwell actually brings in Steve into the grand arena where he's going to be strapped down and turned into Captain America. Well, they showcased a piece of the skinny Steve technology there and they didn't show all of his face. And so they're like, well, wow, that's a great composite. I, I, you know, I think that might work inside the movie. And they're like, well, that is Chris Evans. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, they were absolutely sold on it. I love it inside of movies when they pull off things like that. The uh, I remember that vividly when they did the revisit in Deep Space Nine back to original Star Trek yes. where they We've were putting people yeah, where they were putting people in and the sample inside of there was they'll watch a scene and then they'll go, well, "What did you think?" And there's deafening silence as everybody turns and faces each other and they're like, "Well, what? We didn't see anything." And they show it again. And in that case, what they had was a guard standing next to the turbo lift door behind Captain Kirk that was 25 years old. Right. And so he wasn't even born when Star Trek was out. But they've now inserted him into frame and they all go, wait, wait a second. That's the guy? 
Yeah. It's the same thing that they had here. And I love it when technology does that because that means total success inside the film and the skinny Steve stuff. I loved it. Yeah, However, no, no I lines. loved it. And guess who didn't? Who didn't love it? No, it's not a matter of I didn't love it, but I did notice the fact that Steve, skinny Steve looked different than everybody else on screen. Of course he did. I could not figure out what it was during the movie that's about his voice, his body. Something about him was just like, what is off about Steve Rogers? I don't know what it was. I just noticed it on the screen. It was like... And then when I figured out what they did, it was like, okay, that makes sense, but I... I did notice it. Yeah. I, I think it's another ailment that, you know, plagues much of things that go on here. Two guys talking. It's called picky bastard syndrome. <laughs> actually. <laughs> in any case, skinny Steve loved it. I thought it, it, it took me into the absolute character, but also the acting prowess of this little tiny man that wanted to do nothing but give back to his country. Just wonderfully done. The tossing of a shield. All right, so for those of you that have seen anything that was created in the 1970s that was Captain America, Whoa. you understand how ridiculous the, throw, the tossing of a shield could look. Uh, none of that here. No. Absolutely none of it. It was all form and function, the sound effects that were conveyed, the, the characters running through frame and jettisoning off a shield that looks like it's going into nowhere, bouncing off a tank and crushing its victims. Man, just awesome stuff. Yeah, we wish this was the time we could actually be showing you guys a scene of Captain America throwing the shield. <laughs> it was just it was spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. The, one, that, was, that, was the, that was the thing, I think, for me, that was... If they don't get that right, the whole movie will fall apart. No matter how awesome the costumes and the acting and the special effects and everything else they do in the film, if they mess up the, the shield throw, then the whole thing falls apart. And they, they didn't mess it up. I yeah. mean, it worked really, yeah. the really shield, well. The shield throwing to Captain America is the same as Spider-Man swinging from building to building. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If you don't have that, you don't have the character. This yeah. is true. That, you know, for Spider-Man, the physical look of his head. If you screw up the Spider-Man head, the yeah, rest of it's done. done. The rest of it's done. The Red Skull. We've already talked about the Red Skull and the effects. What we haven't talked about is the Red Skull and the effects. Again, for those of you that have the Blu-ray version of this film, go through and look at what they did with the effects inside the Red Skull makeup. Granted, there's a whole bunch of stuff on Hugo, Hugo Weaving that is just spectacular, but you need to see what they did. It is just amazing stuff. All of the green screen. Again, I dare anybody to go through and go, oh, that was green screen. Oh, that was green screen. Oh, that part was definitely green screen. And you can't do it. Yeah, there are no boxes you, in this. You can't do it. It's, it's spectacular level uh, special effects and something that it just totally holds the grandeur of the time period, but also all the special effects in a special cradle that is just great. So much better than shows like Sanctuary, which you can tell are people in front of the screens. Yeah. All huge, but nothing stupid big. And when I say this, what I'm talking about is this was not Goldmember with Dr. Evil going on here where obviously the plan is maniacal and he has a laser in space orbiting planet Earth. Right. But it was a big deal. It's yeah. a big giant ray. He's going to aim it at cities and destroy cities. Yep. But it was all yeah, this, grand. There was enough grand in it, but not stupid big. Do you follow me? I agree. Okay. This fit the comic books perfectly. In the comics, they run the Nazis having all of these super weapons. That Some of them were huge, unbelievable pieces of technology, and it pulled it right into the movie, and like you said, believable. doesn't look like it's Dr. Evil gadget. 
The use of Hydra and the best toys. David mentioned this a little bit inside of the costuming, but there's no doubt about who has the best toys. The Nazis had a lot of really cool stuff, as we've seen in pictures and movies and everything else. Sure. But Hydra had the best toys. Yeah, There's no doubt about it. They were able to convey it here inside of, again, what was believable function and fit to even the soldiers that were picking up Hydra stuff, but they were still marveled at what it would do. Right. And I love that. I love that when they can, they can just lay that flavor over even the soldiers that were American soldiers who get it and then kick ass with the toys. Awesome stuff. The story. Not preposterous. Again, just big. Yeah, right. This is one of the few movies where I didn't have my and that's your plan moment. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything actually made sense. I mean, yeah. once again, you got to take it in the context of, you know, this is a comic book overlay of World War II. Um, but even still, the, nobody's plan seemed really stupid. Right. I mean, everybody right. seemed to be doing something that they could theoretically in their comic book world actually accomplish. And it would do something that was worthwhile accomplishing. Right. Oh, and the best part is that the, the, the laser, the small version of the laser that Red Skull has, we actually get to see that do some incredible damage to people. Right. Look, there's a guy standing there. And now there's no guy standing there. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. That they were Nazis was even better. So it, right. it just, <laughs> again, awesome level plan stuff for the story. Great, great piece. A perfect meld into the future, the now time. Again, it doesn't get any better than when you paint the perfect picture of a time period and then you shove on another future now piece on the end of it, and it's all seamless. Yeah. It's absolutely seamless. From the time that they begin playing that game that he was actually at, oops, to the time he's actually running through Times Square to Nick Fury stopping him, all of that was just genius stuff. Yeah. And it was so short. That's what really helps me understand the, the quality of filmmaking here is that that was all incredibly short, but it all felt real. I agree. Um, I think, of course, if you're going to give someone future shock from a previous point in history, <laughs> Times Square is the place That's to do the it. That's the place to do it, right. I have to admit, the when they first did the scene where, like you said, where they're trying to slowly bring him in the thing where they set up the stage looking like it was still to, you know, 1940s, I was actually thinking, like, what in the world are they doing? And then the reveal that it was actually a stage set and everything else, mm -hmm. It was a perfect way to introduce and to bring into the next Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. And yet, at the same time, the rest of the movie stands on its own. You don't have to go see the next movie to follow the storyline. It stands alone, but it works great going in as part of the series. Right. It definitely helps to propel, but it's not a requirement to propel, which I think all movies, including all the ones that have sequels, should have a component of. There's no doubt about that. Just as every movie has good points, there's also the bad. Teen Hook! Two guys talking! Captain America! We pressed hard to try and find something bad inside this film. Sure. And uh, we, we mentioned the skinny Steve. Unfortunately, Kip is the only person on planet Earth that had any problem with hating and never wanting to see another movie with it. Right, Kip? Nah, I don't go that far. I just said I noticed it. <laughs> okay. And we're trying to scrape the barrel for finding bad stuff. <laughs> we are. Right, yeah. So definitely, there's going to be people in the in the audience that think the Skinny Steve stuff was valid. I do not. I think it was one of the things that helped propel the movie as a absolute showcase of what he was and what he is now for me. Short attention span theater regarding World War II escapades. Now, this is the only one thing that I had a problem with inside the film, and it's that the expanse of World War II experience for Captain America, who was in every year 
from World War II on to when he got frozen and then he continued in war is a span of what looks about three months as opposed to any period of time inside of World War II that's painted. Right. And again, what we're it's we're already at two two hours and nine minutes with this film. So obviously we're looking at attention span for what is viable watching versus what they can showcase. Sure. And so when you look at it in that view, they did a good job. It's just that I would like to have seen more. Yeah, I couldn't tell whether the movie is supposed to have occurred, like you said, in three months or is this three years? I kind of hoping it was three years, so this way they can do flashbacks and more stuff coming mm-hmm. in future movies. Yeah, yeah, I got I got that feeling too. That one, they hurried through that, but at the same time, I understood the fact that, for instance, the pub they were sitting in in London is bombed, and he yeah. comes back into it later on, and you know that kind of gives you a feeling that these are things that have transpired over a number of years mm-hmm. as opposed to a number of weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it does set up the, well, we can flash back to further adventures of Captain America during World War II and, in and, later movies. Yeah, and I really hope that they do do that. For for those that are wondering, when you're listening to this podcast, you're wondering what fans think, fans want that. Yeah. They want you to go back to World War II and show some more escapades of Captain America versus the Red Skull versus Hydra versus the Nazis. They want that. Yeah. So please take that into account. Better than any of the TV-based Captain America crap. Just, I, I, I shudder to even include the value of the 70s stuff inside of the introduction and the discussion inside this film. Because we're talking black and white stuff. It just happens to be owned by it's, Marvel. Yeah, do, you know what? It's not, even, it's not even the same property. They, they share a common name and, and a com, common color set. But other than that, they really aren't even the same thing. Yeah. I, totally, totally well, two different creatures. The 70s movie and what was the one with the Italian Red Skull? Was that in the early 80s or was that still in the 70s? That was the 80s, I believe. It was like uh, maybe 84-ish, 85. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were definitely products. I mean, the Captain America 70s movies were definitely products that belonged right alongside of Chips and Charlie's Angels. <laughs> and, and, and for that matter, the television Spider-Man with you know yeah. the, the wire hooked on the guy's belt as they drag him up drag the side, of, the the side of the wall. Right, right. yeah. Again, the gist is that we're we're straining right. to try and find something and, and negative here. No, it's just a st- stupendous film. I my think. my only real negative for the entire film, the thing that left I left the theater feeling like meh, was, and I know why they did it, but still, there just weren't enough Nazis. Hydra are not Nazis, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that they introduced us to Hydra, which I'm sure we'll get to see later in other films, is great, but. Uh, there was, aside from the mention of Hitler a couple of times, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, you're going to drag Hitler screaming to the gates of hell or whatever. You know, there was very little Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I understand this is a comic book world, but we're there to fight the Nazis in Europe. That's what mm-hmm. we were doing, we were mm-hmm. fighting Nazis. And you mention the Nazis, and you see people in Nazi uniforms, a couple of people in Nazi uniforms. But for me, there just wasn't that over the hill over there are regular Joes fighting the Nazis mm-hmm. and we're the special team off fighting Hydra. I, I didn't get that feel and it was a little bit of a not a disconnect but a little bit of a letdown. So we come to the part of the two guys talking perspective review of Captain America where we hit the rating. Where we provide a scale of 1 for the worst and 10 for the best. David where are you on Captain America 2011 directed by Joe Johnston? This is for my purposes at this point in at this point in time mm-hmm. the best translation from comic book to film period mm-hmm. hands down mm-hmm. uh, there have been other films that were good X2 for instance was mm-hmm. really good Spider-Man 2 was mm-hmm. really good but uh, Hellboy the Hellboy movies were really great translations mm-hmm. but 
honestly, the best one to date is this movie. They literally nabbed everything out of the comic that is germane to that character and faithfully put it onto the screen in a way that is not only entertaining, but endearing, and you become invested in it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I give this movie, based on everything we've discussed and, and those facts, a number. Great, great. Kip? I'm going to have to pretty much agree with him, except for I'm just wanting to say a 10. I really like this movie. I have, like we said, we've scraped the barrel to find complaints. Um, I mean, we have to go to other Captain America movies to find complaints. It's a great movie, and it's the, it's like each Marvel property keeps getting better with, you know, each further, each new movie that's been coming out is getting a little bit better, a little bit better, which really makes it all, really put your, you know, expectations high for the next, the Avengers movie. But for Captain America right now, I'm going to say 10. I don't think that there was another way to put uh, the, 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 the best words into what I was expecting from this film, except uber expectation. Not only from the actors, the people that were directing, but also the special effects stores that were going to provide something that was going to put us into the moment or totally provide us something that pulled us out of the moment. And it's easy to say with this film, it was an absolute home run. We were put into World War II to meet Steve Rogers. We met Steve Rogers. He was incredibly slight. We saw what Steve Rogers became because of a machine and a serum. We saw what he did, and we see where he's going to go. All of that is showcased inside of this film, a comic book movie. And I think, to date, it is the best comic book movie from stem to stern, from the page to the silver screen, ever. It's that good, and I give it a 10. And so we're wondering what you thought of Captain America 2011, directed by Joe Johnston. Let us know what you think by going to our website at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button at the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you think. Two guys talking. Captain America. The franchise. Now, we've talked about Avengers a couple of times as we're going through things here. Yes. While Avengers is definitely a next echelon of the franchise, you also have to remember that Chris is in these movies for nine movies. Right. And so that means more Captain America films, which I'm absolutely fine with. Again, the drift over into World War II, scooting back into modern day, going back to World War II to talk about the friends, the family, the happenings inside of Cap's life. I'm all good with that. The reason? Because they can do this with the first movie. Yes. There's, there's no doubt about the franchise here bleeding into something that's mammoth, i.e. the Avengers. But there's also a core that they've created, again, with a giant movie that I gave a 10, by the way, uh, inside of just Captain America. And I can't wait to see the next one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that, one, we're not going to see Captain America and Iron Man 3, so that's not one of the nine movies. Uh, two, that they're probably going to make at least three Avengers films. Mm -hmm. And that with all those extra movies that they've padded into this contract, we should get three Captain America movies easy. Yeah. And the fact that they're going to, I believe, do a part now in the future, part flashback to this, I'm sure they'll reintroduce Bucky. Anybody who's familiar with the comics knows who and what Bucky becomes. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to work in you know, an entire film around those two characters and they're coming back into each other's lives mm -hmm. and how they worked together further back in, in World War II. So I think that the fact that we've got so many movies in his contract, uh, a total of nine, that we'll be able to see a, a, a really long, long line of 
good movies coming in the future. A legacy, a yeah. real legacy here Absolutely. with Captain America, and that's what I want. If I had to give a scribe a, a word to the Captain America line, it is legacy. Actually, I was, didn't realize that he had the contract for nine until you had mentioned it. I have to agree with everything you're saying. I, this is a great foundation for a series of movies. This is, if they, as long as they maintain the quality and keep you know, in this direction, we're not going to see Batman 5. No, I mean as in the really bad Batman and Robin and, <laughs> you know, the Jim Schumacher, was it? Joe, the Sh- one with Joe Schumacher, yeah. Schumacher, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We won't see that with this as long as they keep on this direction. We'll see good quality movies and, if, and Captain America is one of those characters that could hold a franchise together. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and again, I'm incredibly excited to see where they're going to take Captain America. And so, until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm David Creed, one of your other hosts. I'm Kip Lewis, the final host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and coworkers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.